Well, hey there, podcast listener. How are you today? Like, really? Because if I could be honest, you're looking a little stressed out. And that's okay, because I've got your back. Because if you are feeling stressed out with life and work, left to feel unfulfilled, stuck, and ready for a new chapter to begin, well, I'm inviting you to change that. Because I want you to sit down with me and let's figure out a plan together, your life's roadmap, taking you from where you are right now and getting you to where you want to be. All you have to do is head on over to workwithkevin.coach. That is workwithkevin.coach to sign up. Until then, enjoy today's episode. That was the compelling future. We created in our mind that we were going to go make this sailing voyage and and live every day to where our goal was simply to be happy. You know, we all live grasping for the next brass ring in front of us, whether it's the, you know, the raise or the promotion or, you know, finding the right partner or your kids doing well or whatever the next thing is that you're working towards. And we had always been that way, very driven kind of people. But when we left to go sailing, our goal was simply to be happy, to spend every day enjoying life. Welcome to The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe, the podcast shining light on the inspiring stories of ordinary people choosing to live out anything but ordinary lives, all in the hope that you will be inspired to live out your best life, because this life, it's meant to be lived, and this podcast is meant to inspire you to do it. What's happening? Welcome to the podcast. This is The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe, episode 93, and let me just say this, I'm super excited to have you here today. Whether this is your first time or you've been around for an episode or two, I'm excited to have you here. The point of this podcast is to bring you the stories that I don't think get enough attention. I want to bring you the stories, the everyday superheroes, the people who are overcoming challenges, who are defying the odds, but who aren't making it mainstream. You know, the everyday superheroes. That's what I want to bring you on this podcast. And today's guest is definitely no exception to the rule. Because when I read the bio for this guest today, I honestly thought I was reading the synopsis for the latest adventure movie that's coming out in theaters. But then realized, no, this is actually just this guy's bio. (laughs) And I immediately thought, wow, he's got to be on the podcast. The guy I'm talking about, his name is Rob Dubin. And my interview with Rob is what makes up today's episode. Rob has a pretty extensive past. And this includes everything from being in his 20s, making adventure movies around the world, to getting a call from the president of the United States following a harrowing five days lost in a blizzard, something that would really shape the rest of his life for him and his wife. What's cool about Rob is we not only get to talk about all the crazy, awesome experiences that he's had, but more so we get to gain a greater appreciation for life based off of the insights that Rob has to share. And that's what, to me, really makes today's 
interview so special is because we get a glimpse of a guy's life who's been blessed to do it all, to do lots of amazing things. And, you know, he's here to share it with us, but not in some type of bragging way. He's not some crazy adventure guy like I'm kind of making him out to be. He's just a down-to-earth guy who's got to do cool things, experience amazing parts of this world, but who realizes just the importance of living because in the blink of an eye, it can all be taken from us. And so while we have the chance, we ought to live this life for everything it's worth. So before I bring you that interview with Rob Dubin, I would like to encourage you, if you are somebody who maybe you've been through some stuff in life, maybe you've gone through some challenging times, something that's kind of opened your eyes to realize, wow, I kind of wish I was doing something different with my life. I feel as though there's a greater purpose for my life and what I should be doing. Well, that's exactly the kind of people that I help as a transformational life and business coach. Now, I created a fun audio visualization exercise that was made for somebody just like you. Somebody who has an idea in their head of maybe what they want to do, but all those feelings of self-doubt keep creeping in and standing in the way. So be sure to check out the show notes where I will leave a link to this audio visualization exercise. And I encourage you to click that link, download it, and see what it might bring out for you. And if at the end you think, hey, I kind of like this guy, well, then maybe consider reaching out to me and see if we might be able to, to work together. Me as your coach, helping you get to where you want to be. All right. With all of that said, I think it's time for me to introduce you to the guest of today's episode, Rob Dubin. Well, I was very lucky that when I was in high school, I really knew what I wanted to do. And I, I loved being in the mountains and I was all about skiing and mountain climbing and hiking and kayaking and all the outdoor sports. And I started doing those things, taking still pictures. And in those days, the cameras were terrible. So I would do the, be in these beautiful places and take pictures and try and excite people about where I'd been. And the pictures were terrible. So I got into photography. So when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a photographer and a filmmaker. So when all my friends went off to liberal arts colleges, I went directly to a photography and film school. And when I got out, I didn't really want to go to Hollywood or stay in California where I was. So I came back to Colorado. And by the time I was about 22, I had started my own film production company. And for the next 20 years, I had a fantastic life doing exactly what I wanted. I got to travel all over the world making adventure sports films and ski films and People paid me to go to Tahiti and Thailand and, and Europe with my camera in hand. And life was pretty fantastic. And my wife, who I met along the way there, became my partner. So we traveled all over together making films. And then uh, one February, I believe it was 1993, so I was about 40 years old, we were on a backcountry ski trip to a cabin deep in the mountains and of course, weather reporting in those days was nothing like it is now. There was no internet. And partway there, this huge, huge storm blew in and it turned into a whiteout. 
And the cabin we were headed for, we couldn't find and we couldn't really see anything. And we ended up spending multiple nights out in the wilderness. And the uh, storm was so huge that it was on the news all across the country. There were avalanches all over the state in places that normally are very safe. And when the media heard about this human interest story of these lost skiers, of course, that went viral. And we were out for five days. And after the, I guess, the third day, they wanted to call off the search. They said nobody could survive that long. And on the fifth day, the sheriff finally did call off the search. And he said uh, they would uh, recover our frozen bodies in the springtime. And we actually got out of the mountains later that same day. And the, the very first phone call we got was from the president of the United States because millions of Americans had been watching this story day by day, wondering if they would find us. And so the next two or three days were kind of crazy. I was on every TV show, I think Good Morning America, two days in a row, and all the other network morning shows and evening shows. And my wife, had. we thought, you know, after we got out of the wilderness that our troubles were over. And in fact, that was really the start of our challenge because the endless nights in the, just huddled in the snow with no tents or, or shelter had frozen my wife's feet and her fingers. And she was in the hospital. And about the third or fourth day back, the doctors pulled me from her hospital room and told me they were going to have to amputate both of her feet at the arch of the foot, and they would wait a few days, and then they would probably have to amputate all of her fingers as well. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, so they told me that, and I went home that night, and I walked in, and I was still kind of on this emotional roller coaster from being so strong and, you know, doing what we needed to do out skiing. And this just put an end to me. And I just collapsed on the floor and I just spent a whole night just laying on the floor, crying in a little fetal position and a puddle of tears, contemplating what kind of future lay ahead of us with my wife having no feet and no fingers. But by the morning, I woke up and I had gone from like the weakest, most vulnerable, powerless moment in my life the night before to I felt super powerful that morning. I rushed over to the hospital before the doctors could tell my wife about the surgery they intended. And I told her she was going to have a complete recovery. And we both started focusing on having a complete recovery. We talked about the kind of compelling future, what we were going to do next and after that and after that. And about two hours later, the doctors came in to prep her for the surgery And we refused to sign the papers authorizing the surgery. And so we had a standoff with the doctors for several days. And they obviously were still treating her and taking care of her. And they were insistent that she was going to lose her feet. But they finally said they wouldn't force the surgery on us. You know, sometimes they go to court and get a court order to do it. But they said they wouldn't do that as long as she didn't get gangrene. And so day by day, we focused only on a positive, unbelievable future for ourselves. We thought about all the things we were going to do. And we had this threat of the gloom and doom. We were in the hospital. We had this threat of the amputations hanging over us every day. And we just never focused on it. And she was in the hospital for 21 days. And then they finally said, yeah, we, we won't have to do surgery now. And then they let her go home. And she had a nurse twice a day changing her bandages for probably another three, four months. But a year later, we were 
in Mexico. She was dancing in the sand on a beach in Cancun, and she had two feet and 10 fingers and nine and a half toes. She had ended up losing one little bit of one toe, and that was it. Another year after that, we decided to go for those compelling dreams we had. We sold our home and bought a sailboat, and we set off to go sailing around the world. And I was 42 years old that year. Wow, 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 wow. Well, (laughs) Rob, that is quite the synopsis of of a journey you've been on. That's incredible. So now, what year was it that you guys got stuck skiing? A long time ago. It was 1993. Uh, We had been married about 20 years or so, and I was 40 years old. I'm sorry, we'd been married about uh, 10 years, 10 or 11 years, and I was 40 years old that year. Wow. So now, do you have much of a memory of those five days? I mean, do you recall any of it? I mean, were you? Well, I told you that what I did was I was a documentary filmmaker making adventure sports documentaries. And so I have a crystal clear memory of almost every minute of those five days, because literally those are the kind of stories I covered for a living. I went to Nepal, for instance, and documented uh, some of the best climbers in the world climbing a mountain right next to Mount Everest. I'd also been on uh, Denali, uh, the highest peak in North America, up in Alaska, and another Alaskan expedition. So I commonly went on trips like that with my camera, filming all the moments that told the story. So, yes, I have very clear memories of all of that. At any point, did you ever think about turning it into a movie? Uh, There was lots and lots of talk about that. There were a couple other people with us at the start. Our group kind of got broken up. Afterwards, uh, there was just a lot of difficulties getting Hollywood was chasing us for a while, but there was a lot of difficulty getting all the different parties going in the same direction. My brothers had been very active. They had helped the rescue group. One of my brothers had been on search and rescue in Vail, Colorado, and he had gone up to this was near Aspen. So he actually was living in California at the time, but he came back and he worked with the Aspen search and rescue group and My other brother, I guess, was being interviewed on the news constantly while we were out there. I didn't really know about what was happening. But uh, anyway, they told me all of that later on. So there was a lot of talk of making it into a movie. It would still make a very good movie, but uh, it never has been made into a movie. Yeah, well, I don't know. Sometimes just real life is better than the movie. So, (laughs) So now I'm curious, though. Because, I mean, let's face it, it's remarkable that you guys basically defied the odds and were were rescued. And then, though, to turn right around and defy the odds with your wife, with her you feet. You know, it's the, there was two things that happened out in the wilderness. Because I had the experience of going to Nepal and climbing on big mountains in Alaska and Nepal, I had a lot of know-how to help me survive what to do. And it was pretty desperate conditions. I mean, we didn't have a tent. One woman couldn't carry her pack, so she dropped her sleeping bag. And so she had no sleeping bag. So my wife gave her sleeping bag to this other woman, which meant my wife didn't have one. So, But I had a lot of the skill set for surviving in the wilderness, even though the experts said nobody could survive that long. So that was part of it. But the other part of it, of course, is your state of mind. I never really considered any other option than that we were going to get out. 
And there were other people with us. We split up along the way, unfortunately. And there were others that were quite experienced and they didn't think they were going to survive. And everybody did survive in the end. But I had never went to that place of thinking that we weren't going to survive. And so, you know, I spent and even Hmm. when I had that terrible night when they told me they were going to amputate my wife's feet. I mean, I was a puddle of mush on the floor in tears in a fetal position from, you know, nine o'clock at night until sometime when I maybe drifted off to sleep in the 3 a.m. or something. But that was just a few hours. By the morning, I was I had adopted a different mindset and I was had gone from being the weakest, most powerless moment in my life to feeling super powerful and confident. And that's what I conveyed to my wife. And we both focused on that. Well, I think that's absolutely, absolutely amazing. So inspiring, so motivating and empowering. And wow, that's just really, really fascinating. So so skipping kind of towards the end of, of where you had left off, you know, your your wife makes this full recovery. You're, you guys are dancing in, in Mexico on the sand. You then they come home. Who then says to who, honey, let's sell everything and live on a boat for the next 17 years? Well, even when we were before this ski trip, we had kind of a 10 year plan to want to do that. And then when I told you when she was in the hospital, we focused on a compelling future. That was the compelling future we created in our mind that we were going to go make this sailing voyage and and live every day to where our goal was simply to be happy. You know, we all live grasping for the next brass ring in front of us, whether it's the, you know, the raise or the promotion or, you know, finding the right partner or your kids doing well or whatever the next thing is that you're working towards. And we had always been that way, very driven kind of people. But when we left to go sailing, our goal was simply to be happy, to spend every day enjoying life. So we had that in mind and it took us about just another year after the recovery to put the pieces in motion to sell our home and go go after that lifestyle. And when we left, we thought we were only going to go sailing for three or four years and then come back to work. But we ended up spending the next 17 years on our boat and sailed around the world. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. So so tell me a little bit, give, give us a little bit of a glimpse into to life during that 17 year span. I mean, what would you guys just did you have set places in mind? Would you just sail and where you kind of ended up? I mean, give, give us a little bit of insight into how that was. Well, the the first thing when you move on a sailboat, you know, we left went from a three bedroom, I don't know, 2,500 square foot house or something onto about a 350 square foot sailboat. And so when you do that, you have to get rid of a whole lot of stuff, obviously. And this, the space on a sailboat is so limited that you can only take with you things that really help you sail better or be safer or live better in your new life on the boat. And for us, that was a perfect metaphor for every part of our lives, because we're all carrying stories of our past and baggage with us from things that didn't go well in our lives. And so we, just like we threw all that extra physical possessions that we couldn't take on the boat. We got rid of those. We got rid of all the old stories in our life that weren't going to help us in our future. So when we set off, our lives were really a a very clean slate. You can't see me, but I'm uh, completely bald. 
And that's no big deal because I'm in my 60s now. But I was actually started going bald when I was a little kid. Then I wore a hairpiece for much of my life. And as we sailed away from the dock, I pulled off my hairpiece and I frisbeed it away over the stern of the sailboat. And so we started our new life with uh, a story about who we wanted to be. And we got rid of all the old baggage in our life that didn't serve us. And we headed off to the Caribbean for the first, well, the first year we just went to the Bahamas, very close off the Florida coast. And we just took baby steps. We sailed back up the East Coast, up to Maine. And then the next year, instead of just going to the Bahamas, we went a little farther away down into the Caribbean, the Virgin Islands. And so we took baby steps and, you know, learned how to be better and better sailors and take care of our boat. And eventually we spent about seven years in the Caribbean And then we decided to go sail around the world. So then we spent another 10 years going around the the planet. Wow, that's absolutely just, oh my goodness, I'm sitting at the end. Like, talk about like this, this wild like idea that I think people may talk about, but the fact that you guys actually got to live it and make it come true is pretty amazing. Well, I'm a firm believer in that everybody can live the dreams they want. And some of it's about the strategies, but a whole lot of it is about being willing to get outside of your comfort zone. You know, so when we left to go sailing, I said our goal was really to be happy and and we made ourselves happy every day. We studied what made other people happy. And before we left, we had actually been making a lot of films in the sailing industry, which helped us learn about sailing. And so, for instance, we had been involved with the in the America's Cup yacht race and, you know, a lot of billionaires and hundreds of millionaires, people that are into the the high echelon of yacht racing. We spent a lot of time with those people. And then a few years later, we were spending time with barefoot villagers on, you know, 100 different countries on six continents. And so we studied what made people happy, how they came up with their dreams, how they made their dreams come true. And. So we made a study of that and and learned a lot about that. And that's kind of what we we share today. And I speak about that. And I I talk a lot now about uh, this great resignation that's going on across the country, that people quitting their jobs. And COVID gave them basically the same experience we had in the hospital. That was kind of our COVID moment when we did a reassessment of our lives and were we happy, were we we on a track to make ourselves happy? And I think everybody's now done that in the past two years with COVID. And a lot of people are realizing they want to be happier. So on a business level, a lot of corporations are finding they have to pay more or give more flexible hours or let them not come back to work in person and do remote work. And those are all important things for companies to be doing. But the real core issue is teaching people how to be happy human beings. I'm very glad that as a a byproduct of COVID, a lot of people have examined their lives and say they figured out they want to be happier. And so they're coming to that place I was many years ago. And I have solutions for literally, I have a recipe for how you become a happy human being. And part of it is what you mentioned about re, you know, going after your goals. But anyway, that's what I'm kind of all about today. Well, that's, that's amazing. Well, well, I, I don't think I could not ask you to explain a little bit more about this recipe for happiness. Yeah, I teach uh, kind of uh, 10 different things. Uh, Five of them are sort of personality traits that happy people have. And that's what I learned 
from studying, as I said, both the billionaires and the barefoot villagers. There were some people in each group that were happy and some people in each group that were unhappy. And actually, the key, we all think of this pursuit of happiness. And, you know, when I get the new car and the raise and the bigger house and find the perfect spouse, I will then be happy. And you you will be happy, but those things only make you happy for a very short period of time. Really, we have it kind of backwards. We think when I get this success, then I will be happy. And science, actually, scientists that study happiness have proven that first you decide to be happy. And that happiness, when you decide, it's simply a decision you make. You decide you're going to be happy. And then you do some of these habits of happiness that I talk about. And when you are a happy person, you unleash more resiliency, more creativity, more resourcefulness, which as you, those are the same things that got us out of the wilderness that helped my wife survive and that help you be more successful in both your home life and your work life. And it, it comes first from making this decision to be happy. And then there are a number of uh, real simple exercises. One exercise is just spend literally five minutes at the towards the end of every day and write down three or four, th- write them down, but write down three or four things that you're grateful for that day. And it's just the simplest. You do it every day for three weeks. And after three weeks, it probably becomes a habit that you want to continue for the rest of your life. And I don't always write them down, but I stop at the end of every day and I think about three things that made me happy. And it could be as simple as I heard a song on the radio. That's one of my favorite songs. You know, it doesn't have to be some giant thing, but it gave me happiness because one thing about when you're feeling gratitude, which is what we felt on the boat every day, at the end of every day, we literally pinched ourselves and said, do you believe we're so lucky we get to live this life? But when you're feeling gratitude, you can't feel anger and fear and anxiety, and you can't really be worrying about the future if you're focused on the gratitude that you're feeling right then. So there's one simple, simple trick your listeners can adopt. Another one that uh, makes a big, big difference in people's lives is to cultivate optimism. Figure out, you know, the glass is it half full or half empty, and your brain is designed to answer questions for you. So if you say, "Tell me all the ways this glass is only half is half empty." Your brain is going to come up with it. Well, you know, it's because you were born on the wrong day, and your mom was mean to you, and you know, you're not good looking enough and you haven't found the right spouse, your brain will come up with a whole bunch of answers as to why you should be unhappy. But if you ask it better questions about why you should be happy, it'll come up with those answers. So if you ask yourself questions about what's great about today, and even if today was a lousy day, what could I learn from that bad thing that happened to me today? So if you ask yourself empowering questions, your brain will come up with empowering answers and you can cultivate optimism. Another one that uh, helps a lot of people is just to stop caring and living your life for other people's opinion. Mm. I guess science says most people get to be in their 50s before they stop caring what other people think. And uh, I must have been a child prodigy at that because I didn't give a damn about what other people thought about me as a, when I was a little kid. And I've carried that through my whole life. And it kind of stemmed from that story I told you about being bald as a little kid. When I was a little kid, I got teased unmercifully, and they don't have all these anti-bullying campaigns. They didn't then like they do now. And I beat up a couple of sixth graders. I was a fourth grade kid, and these 
sixth graders were teasing me and I eventually just snapped and beat them up. And uh, afterwards, somebody said to me, I don't even know if it was a teacher or a parent or maybe one of my other fourth grade student friends, but somebody said to me, you don't even like those kids. Why do you care what they think about you? So here I was, this little fourth grade kid, bald, and I learned that lesson that what other people think of me doesn't really matter. And so I've lived my authentic life since I was very young, and uh, that's been a big part of what made good things in my life happen. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I love I love everything that you've just shared, all the these little tricks, these little things of, as I say, kind of flipping the script within our own mind. And they may seem so minor, but it is true. They build upon each other. And and it's little, little bits of effort that you can make, you know, will have this bigger, you know, and, and, you know, grand result in the end. Absolutely. You know, one of the analogies I use in my talks is that even when you're exercising your stomach, that helps you bench press more weight, even though you're bench pressing with your biceps, because it's just what you just said. It's all of these things build together and support each other. So, you know, you get a little bit of boost, a little bit stronger in one muscle, and it helps all the other muscles in your body. Yep, it's so true. So true. So I'm curious. So we've had this this crazy life story that I, I say the way that you talk about your life story, I almost feel like we're reading the synopsis for like the latest adventure movie. And But I'm curious what's happening in your life today. So I was 42 years old when we retired to go sailing and we spent the next 17 years sailing around the world. And then when we came back, we spent quite a number of years living in a motorhome and doing sort of the same kind of travel around the country. And I guess I sort of feel our life on the boat had kind of three phases. The first phase was what I call the don't die phase, where we had to (laughs) learn how to take care of ourselves in the boat and not hit a reef and navigate and do all the things that, that we had to do to be safe. So our focus was very inward on ourselves and doing all of that and taking care of ourselves. And that phase lasted maybe a year or so. And then we entered kind of a what I call a mutual benefit phase. We tried to contribute to the lives of the people that we met, especially in third world countries, but they also contributed to our lives. So we always carried the school supplies to give away to the kids and usually fish hooks and batteries for the men or tools if I could spare them. The women, we always carried sewing supplies and material and needles and thread. And we donated those things to the people, but They also, in return, invited us into their lives. We shared meals with them in their homes. We got to see how they lived. So we were benefiting each other, and it was kind of a mutual benefit phase. But eventually, we got to a third phase, and we realized that what was missing in our life was kind of the ability to contribute to others in a more meaningful way. When we gave away all the school supplies and those things, it was great, but a year later, they needed that same stuff. And we were in Indonesia. We landed on a small island, the first place we made landfall in Indonesia. And a woman, young woman, was in met us on the beach and offered to be our guide so she could practice her English. And we became good friends with her. And she told us she was her parents made like two hundred dollars a month and they couldn't send her to college. But she had gotten a scholarship to college. She was studying to be a teacher and to learn English. She was so amazing. If she had been in America, she would have been on a full ride scholarship to Harvard. She was 
so bright and hardworking. And we knew there must be so many other young women like her. And so we were very motivated. And in her sort of honor, we decided to set up a scholarship to see if we could help other young women like herself get a college education. And we had pretty modest goals. We just raised some money from amongst the other sailors and we were going to donate it to some kind of scholarship. But we got a little more involved. And literally in a a five-day period, my wife and I met with the president of the university and we got him to waive all the entrance requirements for anybody that we would sponsor to go to school there. And we met with the headmasters of several high schools and we set up a criteria, both academic qualifications and financial need. And we oriented it mostly towards young women, because in the third world, educating women is the most bang for your buck, for sure. And uh, we put this scholarship in place and we knew that other sailors like ourselves, just itinerant sailors passing through, would want to contribute. So we set up a way for them to do that. And it's been about 13 years now, and we've put 29 kids through five years of college. Wow, that is so fascinating. Yeah, so for us, you know, we found that contribution to others is a huge part of of life. And so this is a long answer to your question, what am I doing now? I'm trying to make contributions to others. I, you know, I've done what I want with my life, and I continue to do so. So I started speaking on on human happiness and human fulfillment, and that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. And now I'm kind of shifting it into, I'm gratified, as I said, that COVID has forced a lot of people to say, what can I do to be happier in my life? And so I'm you know, hoping to reach as many people as I can to say, yes, you can be happy and here's how to do it. Well, that is so amazing. Such a powerful message that you are putting out into the world and something that I believe is so deeply needed. And where can somebody learn more? Do you have a website? Are you on social media? Stuff that people can follow you or learn more? Yeah, I have a website. It's just my name, R-O-B, Rob Dubin, R-O-B-D-U-B-I-N.com. And people can also find me on LinkedIn and Facebook, but my website's probably the best place. And a couple other things I'll offer is When we first started talking about our sailing, we had a lot of people ask us hundreds and hundreds of questions, but some of the most common questions we got were, how did you afford to retire at a young age at just 42? And how did the two of you get along in such a small space (laughs) 24-7? And so on my website, if people are interested, they can go to the uh, Frequently Asked Questions page And at the bottom of that, they can fill out a little uh, email form and they can download something that explains a lot about how we achieved financial security and independence. And they can also download something with our relationship strategies. My wife and I have been married. I tell people we've actually been married 187 years because the uh, the years on the boat count are like dog years. They each count for you know seven years. But we've actually been married 40 years. So we share some of the relationship strategies that work for us. We work together in business first. And then, as I said, work together on the sailboat for all those years. So anyway, that's something that that's available for your listeners. Well, well, my goodness, I feel like every single one of us, no matter who we are, where we are in life, just realized, wow, more incentive to go to your website because we've got to get these resources to check out for no other reason, just out of pure curiosity. So that's awesome. So thank you very much for that. You're most welcome. Yeah, the 
The one on the financial stuff is a lot of things. We spent a lot of time studying with Tony Robbins long ago, and we learned immense amounts of things from him. And one of the things we learned was how we created financial abundance in our lives. Our business didn't pay us any better than probably an average salary for most people, but we kind of changed how we thought about money and then learned some strategies of investing. And that's also something people can get there. And that'll probably, uh, it, it definitely has helped others that have followed that, my strategies. I'm not promoting myself as a big money manager, but just some simple things. Part of it is how you think about money. And then other parts of it are simple strategies to save and, and uh, generate income. Well, well, fantastic. Well, well, listen, Rob, I want to thank you so much for being a guest here on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed getting to to hear a little bit about your life story, which, like I said, it just it blows me away. Like you said, it, it sounds like its own very own adventure movie. So, Rob, thank you so much. And you know, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I love your mission and I love the journey that you've been on. And uh, I know we've been on similar journeys and we have a similar outlook on how to move forward from that. And I, I think that's you're providing a really valuable service to your listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. That means means a lot. And to you listening, you know, I hope you enjoyed another amazing guest here on the podcast. You know, so some guests are, are better than others. Let's admit it. And this guy has got us all kinds of pumped up to start looking at the positive side of life, just like I tried to get you to do on every episode here on the podcast. So thank you for listening. And until next week, just keep living and enjoying life like it was meant to be. And that's the lowdown with Kevin Lowe. I hope today's episode inspired you, motivated you, and excited you to get out and enjoy life no matter what obstacles may be standing in the way. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi... We've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.